Hey guys, welcome back to episode 22 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 4. Today we'll be reading chapter 22, but first a recap of chapter 21. Also guys, this is our 101st episode of the podcast. That's incredible. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, you guys are awesome. And this is our second to last chapter of the book, so we are so close to wrapping up this series. Okay, on to the summary. Now, the last chapter focused all on Sticky, Rennie, and Ty's adventure to Mr. Benedict and Mr. Curtin. Sticky managed to get out of the main control room before Crawlings and the listener got to him, with help of Kate's bucket. The boys ran and soon came to a large waterway blocking their path. They discovered a panel with buttons that represented letters. Mr. Benedict had given them one more clue to figure out the letter code, and soon the boys found the word redder to be the answer. This opened a bridge across. They made it across but needed another code to get through the last door, which they got from Mr. Brindick directly through the intercom, which was Zung's wing. But before they went through, Crawlings arrived on the other side of the waterway and opened the bridge, telling the boys that he now knew the code to the door as well. So that's the end of the summary, guys. But before we begin today's episode, I have a question to answer from Ashley. And that is, I'm sorry, Ashley, but your question was just a bit too personal to share to the podcast. But I will definitely look into the book series you recommended. So hopefully that answered your question instead. (laughs) Thank you for the recommendation, by the way. It sounds awesome. Okay, let's get this show on the road and enjoy the episode, everyone. Chapter 22. The Antidote at Last. I didn't mean to, Ty looked ready to burst into tears. I couldn't help hearing it when you were thinking about it, and so I was thinking about it too, but I didn't know she was listening. I'm sorry. Sticky and Rennie did their best to comfort him, hugging him and patting him and telling him that it wasn't his fault and that everything would be fine. Ty badly wished to believe them, of course, and with an effort he held back his tears. They found themselves at long last in Mr. Curtin's security suite. They stood in a well-lit visitor's area, separated from Mr. Curtin's residence by a wall of glastanium. To the right was a modestly appointed kitchenette, beyond which lay the entrance to a bathroom. To their left stood a couple of chairs, a small sofa, and a desk with a computer on it. Rising from this desk and striding happily toward them was now Mr. Benedict. His white hair as rumpled as his suit, his bright green eyes as lively as his nose was large and lumpy. Mr. Benedict was a most welcome sight. He greeted Rennie and Sticky with arms outstretched, and he instantly cheered up Ty with a wink and a joke about the pleasures of a single shoe permolation. I know that word now, Ty said with a laugh of recognition. Then he grew serious again. Crawlings is outside, and he knows the code because of me. Is that so? Mr. Benedict rested a hand on Ty's shoulder. All will be well, dear boy. He turned toward the wall of Glastanium. With Audra, you have visitors. So I noticed, replied the man in a gruff voice remarkably similar to Mr. Brindick's own, although with none of the warmth. And here I've forgotten to set out tea and cookies. Mr. Curtin's residence was, at present, far more dimly lit than the visitor's area. And as a result, the newcomers found themselves peering through their own reflections to find the source of that gruff voice. Indeed, the inner space was illuminated only by nightlight near the foot of the simple bed, upon which lay the shadowy figure of a man. It was nighttime, after all. Nonetheless, the idea of resting on one's bed in the midst of all this excitement was perfectly amazing to the visitors. As they watched, the figure sat up and reached for a bedside lamp. With the click of a switch, Mr. Curtin appeared, glaring out of them from his bed. Except for his close-cropped hair and disagreeable expression, he looked exactly like his brother. He wore a pair of green plaid pajamas. "'Are you Mr. Curtin?' asked Ty. He knew the answer, of course, but in his nervousness he found he couldn't resist asking. 
What do you think? muttered Mr. Curtin, rising from his bed. He shoved his feet into a pair of green plaid slippers. I think you are. I'm Ty Lai. I'm five years old. Mr. Curtin eyed him coolly. Yes, well, he clapped his hands behind his back. Good for you. His eyes traveled to the faces of Rennie and Sticky, who nodded politely for Mr. Brindick's sake. Mr. Curtin grunted softly and said, Time is annoying. Then he looked past them, for even as he spoke, the security door was sliding open, and into the room came Crawlings. The Tin Man had a curious and immensely creepy way of entering unfamiliar rooms. First, his head eased into view. The bald pate bone white in the face with the single eyebrow that twitched as his dark eyes roamed about, followed by his tall, slender figure in its black suit, which emerged in a stooped position, then seemed to unfold itself into the room. As he straightened to his full height and the fragrance of his expensive cologne filled the air, Crawlings drew through the doorway his long left arm, and with it the unfortunate woman known to them so far only as the listener. The woman was trying to shield her face with one hand, and she still struggled to free the other from Crawlings' unbreakable grip. She was quite small, she seemed barely half Crawlings' height, and wore a simple gray dress with tattered sneakers. Her hair, fine and black with streaks of gray, fell just above her shoulders. Her skin was an olive complexion, and when at last she lowered her hand and looked fearfully about the room, her features were so similar that Rennie and Siggy glanced at each other in confusion, and Ty's jaw dropped. Crawlings, his own glittering dark eyes drawn now to Ty's face, began to chuckle. Well, 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 Crawling said. Do we see a family resemblance? How wonderful. It seems no surprise that certain things would run in the family, does it, Mr. Curtin? After all, isn't it true that two of the greatest geniuses on the planet turned out to be identical twins? Mr. Curtin had stepped forward to clear a partition, the better to see what the others were reacting to. Glancing back and forth between the face of the little boy, who seemed pleasantly baffled, and that of the woman, whose large eyes now brim with tears, Mr. Curtin raised a bristly eyebrow but offered no comment on Crawlings' observation. Instead, he said, Hello, Crawlings. Do remember your manners, won't you? Not even a proper greeting after years apart? Forgive me, forgive me, Crawlings chuckled, shaking his head. Hello, Mr. Curtin. Better? You must be pleased to see me, no? As for the rest of... Touch anything on that computer keyboard, and you will instantly regret it. This last Crawlings had directed to Mr. Benedict, who returned to his seat at the computer desk, and who, in response to Crawlings' shriek command, leaned calmly back into his seat and laced his fingers together well away from the keyboard. He looked steadily at Crawlings and waited in silence. Indeed, they all waited in silence, for the Tin Man clearly believed himself to be in control of the situation and would abide no resistance. Now then, Crawlings said once more in a casual, affable tone, what was I saying? Oh, we were speaking of seeing one another after years apart. I must say, look at these two boys, you, George. How is it that you become so handsome? Is it the spectacles, perhaps? Naturally, I've always admired your one good feature. With this, Crawlings ran a hand over his own smooth head. But otherwise, well, I never would have guessed you had it in you. And as for you, Bernard, oh, well, we can't all be manatee idols, can we? To answer your question, Mr. Curtin said with more of a hint of impatience, I am indeed pleased to see you, Crawlings. I trust the others are well. Will they be along soon? Crawlings uttered a disagreeable snicker. Are the others well? Unless by that you mean well cooked, I dare say not. Mr. Curtin, no, I'm afraid I'm the only one in any position to help you, my dear employer. But fear not. I'm more than up to the task. Here you make yourself comfortable on that sofa, he said, directing the listener to take a seat. The poor woman did as she was told. She could not take her eyes off Ty, who returned her gaze in the look of sweet encouragement and, to her evident surprise, climbed onto the sofa and sat quietly beside her. I will allow that, Crawling said to Ty, but if you wish to avoid unpleasant consequences, do not move again without my permission. Blink three times if you understand me. Ty, holding very still, blinked three times.
Now then, Crawling said, here's how we shall proceed, Mr. Curtin. First, you'll explain to me how it is you intend for us to escape. I have the salamander at my disposal, but between me and it stands an impenetrable barrier. Your letter suggested that you have your own way out, and I should love to hear about it. Next, I wish to discover the location of the catch of weapons you refer to in your letter, as well as, I shall even say especially, the location and nature of that most intriguing and mysterious one you mentioned. Once these things have been established, you can advise me on how best to free you from your sadly cramped chamber. How diminished your circumstances appear, I must say. What do you have in there? A bed, a desk, a chair? I suppose that door behind you leads to a bathroom, and that's all? And to think that you used to consider yourself the future master of the earth. Mr. Curtin stared at Crawlings with hooded eyes. He was visibly clenching and unclenching his jaw. At length, he said, I was never one for luxurious accommodations, anyway, you recall. It's true I once enjoyed greater freedoms, however, and I shall like to again, if you'll... Yes, yes, Crawlings interrupted. I know you wish to be freed, and I dare say you're keenly interested in not succumbing to poison you so boldly imbibed. Renard, my dear, I assume you have the desired serum in that backpack of yours? Rennie nodded. I'd like to... Crawlings held up a bony white hand. Do not speak. Do not. Somebody produce the serum. As Rennie slipped off the backpack and unzipped it, Crawlings turned again to Mr. Curtin. How are you given things anyway? Oh, I see. This clever drawer sent to the wall. The metal flap opens and the drawer extends, as if we were making a deposit in the bank's drive through window. But what's to keep it from reaching through and grabbing someone's hand? Or yanking the drawer and matching a fellow's fingers? It's designed so I cannot open it if your side is open, Mr. Curtin said coolly, and vice versa. Clever indeed, Crawling said, his low tone eyebrow twitching with emphasis. And now for the serum, Sticky said. It isn't... I said no speaking, Crawlings barked, and spinning on Sticky, extended his hands, shaking his suit cuffs to expose his shock watches. Sticky flinched. Indeed, everyone in the room flinched. But then Crawlings took a puzzled expression. No electrical hum filled the air. If I may, Mr. Bendick volunteered, raising his eyebrows questioningly. When Crawlings looked at him, evidently willing to hear what he had to say, Mr. Bendick said, When you enter this room, you pass through an electrical magnetic field. The temporarily disables any electric devices on your person. I'm afraid your watches won't function for some time. Also, if I may add, it was Rennie whom instructed to keep silent, not George. Crawling's eyebrow drew in a slant. He tapped the crystal of one watch and held it to his ear, then repeated the action with the other. He sighed. Another clever feature of the room, he admitted, and very well, Mr. Benedict, I take your point. George, I apologize for the frightening you unnecessarily. When it's time for you to be necessarily frightened, I'll let you know, but it won't be long now. Siegel glared at him, but said nothing. Crawling held out a hand to Rennie, his long arms seeming to stretch halfway across the room, and into that hand Rennie placed two stoppered beakers filled with pink liquid. Crawling held them up to the light. It looks thickish, I must say, not a pleasing thing to swallow, but I will most gladly drink it down, oh yes. Don't look so surprised, everyone. You said yourself, Mr. Curtin, that if the serum works, it's effective upon a supposedly average intelligence like mine. Why, then the floodgates of genius will be open, did you not? Mr. Curtin was stony-faced. I don't believe I used those precise words. Well, we won't quibble, Crawling said with a lopsided smile. My point is, why should I bother negotiating terms with you? I have a telepath working for me whose abilities will be developed. In the meantime, I can't simply direct her to extract you from all the information I desire. Your plan for escape, the matter of the weapons, and the formula of the serum itself. Ha! Do not admire the brilliance of my plan. It's as if I've already drunk the serum, is it not? Rennie raised his hand. Crawling's rolling his eyes gave him a nodding permission to speak. 
I ask you to consider, Renny said carefully, that you could allow them to receive the antidote and still get everything you wish. Nothing else about your plan would need to change. You could still obtain all the information to make your escape. You'd have the formula serum to do that, right? So, that's enough, Snipcrawlings, and Renny fell silent. I may not be a veritable genius yet, but I don't need you to spell out every little detail, young man. And the fact is that I have already considered what you say, considered and rejected it. There are always so many things that can go wrong between now and later, you know. I prefer not to wait. My question now is this. Did you really bring enough for both brothers, one beaker each? Or did you intend to save your precious mentor, in which case you expected him to drink both of these beakers? The answer matters, you see, for depending on the dose required to become the certified genius. I might actually let Mr. Curtin have what he needs to survive, for old time's sake, you know. You're too kind, Mr. Curtin growled. Now let's see, Crawling said, stroking his chin and studying Rennie's and Stiggy's faces, which they were clearly endeavoring to keep impassive. I don't actually require any assistance in figuring out the answer to my first question. I've seen all of Mr. Bendick's crew in action often enough to know that they cannot resist helping even those whom they despise. It appears to be some sort of mania. Therefore, you're in luck so far, Mr. Curtin. As long as the single beaker is all I require for my own purposes, you'll be more than welcome to the other. So tell me, what is the proper dose for me? You shouldn't do this, Mr. Curtin replied tersely. What if I'm wrong about the formula? You shouldn't risk making me your enemy in that case. You'll need me. Oh dear, I didn't ask for your opinion, Crawling said. He pointed a finger directly at Mr. Curtin's face. I asked you what the proper dose is for me, and you had better answer me now. You know what I'm capable of, and I'm holding all the cards here. What is the proper dose? A single beaker, Mr. Curtin said, narrowing his eyes. Now do get on with it and pass me mine. With pleasure, Crawling said, and with his teeth he ripped the stopper from one of the beakers. You're not really going to drink that, are you? said a small voice. Not when you know that Mr. Brindick needs one, too. Crawlings pivoted slowly to level his gaze at the owner of the voice. Ty Lai's face looked up at him as if from the bottom of a well. So much smaller was he than Crawlings, and his big eyes were so wide with innocent disbelief. There are times when even the worst of men, the most selfish, the most vindictive, the cruelest of men, need only to be confronted with the wisdom of small children to be reminded of the children they once were themselves, to be reminded, in short, of what it is to imagine a world of magic and kindness, rather than a world of wickedness and violence. This was not one of those times. Crawlings winked at time and drank the beaker down. He shuddered, winced, gasped, and then laughed, for he had done it. He had become a genius. Except that Crawlings didn't feel like a genius yet, and the idea came to him next, he knew, was no better than the idea of a common mortal. Still, it was an important idea, and he felt very pleased to have been its source. His eyes swiveled to the timid woman on the sofa. Tell me what he's thinking, Crawlings intent, for it occurs to me that of course he would say I needed only one beaker, because he wants the other for himself. Let's just be sure about this, shall we? Tell me, and tell me quick, what is the proper dose? The sad woman, her face a mass of fear and confusion, did what the ten men instructed her to do. She stared intently at Mr. Curtin, who closed his eyes and shook his head as if in disgust, and then she said very quietly, Both beakers. I'm sorry, but both beakers. That's what he's thinking. I knew it, Collins roared. He jerked the stopper from the other beaker and flung it carelessly at Rennie, striking him on the forehead. As Rennie rubbed the painful spot, and he and Stiggy looked on with expressions of helplessness, Collins gulped down the last of the serum. He turned and flung the beaker triumphantly at the wall, where it exploded into a thousand tiny pieces. He shivered and shook his head, and then he straightened to his full height and stretched his arms out wide. Yes, let the new era begin. Mr. Bendict rose from his chair. Congratulations, he said very quietly to Rennie and Sticky. He shook their hands. Very well done indeed. 
Mr. Curtin, with a look of disdain to Crawlings, went and sat on the edge of his bed. You are a wonderful young man, aren't you? Mr. Bennick was saying to Ty. Ty turned to the listener, he said. I'm so sorry for all you've been through. Well, I hope you find your way, I promise. Excuse me, Crawlings said. He bugged his eyes at the others in the room. Hello, are you aware of what just happened? He concentrated, waiting for his genius to kick in, the better to understand these mystifying reactions. Rennie and Sticky shook their hands and hugged, clapping each other enthusiastically on the back. They hugged Ty, too, and their soft voices began to offer assurances to the listener, whose face for the first time showed signs of hope. I'm still here, Crawling shouted. Everyone be silent. They all turned to face him. His chest was heaving. His eyes darted back and forth. He felt extremely agitated and confused. Tell me, said Mr. Benedict, can you lift your arms? I advise you to be seated at once. Of course I can, Crawlings began. But then he looked at his left arm, and then at his right arm, both dangled unmoving, and indeed he only managed to look at them by directing his eyeballs, for his head seemed unwilling to move as well. Be quick, my friends, Mr. Benedict said, and Rennie Sticky jumped forward to catch Crawlings before he collapsed. They eased him onto the floor, where he sat with his palms upturned, his knuckles near his knees, and his face a picture of bewilderment. But you said both beakers, Collins said, directing his eyeballs toward the listener. His voice slurred. Was it only supposed to be one? Oh, even one beaker was one too many, I'm afraid, said Mr. Benedict. The front of Collins' suit pants grew very dark, and he tried to frown, but he could not. Ty gasped. Did Mr. Collins just wet himself? Unfortunately, said Sticky with a shrug, it's no surprise. Consumed in such quantities, the formula would certainly have that effect. It isn't meant to be drunk at all, in fact, but injected, and only in the fraction of that amount. I suppose you should help him lie back so he doesn't strike his head on the floor. Together, he and Rennie did just that, leaving Crawlings to stare at the ceiling for a few moments longer, still wondering what his genius would come galloping in to save the day. But alas, his genius was delayed indefinitely, and what arrived instead was a long-lasting slumber, followed by a long-lastingly residency in the keep. Mm-hmm.